So take your Bible, let's go to Joshua chapter one. And our scripture text was already read by the Neil children. I don't want to rehearse the entire text, but I do want to just reread the main verse that we're going to be examining today in, frankly, what's more of a topical message. And that is Joshua 1, 9. Here's what the Bible says. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. About a week ago, my wife was in the basement of our home. I was sitting on the couch, and suddenly I heard her yell my name. And the way that she yelled my name was not a normal way that she would say, Mark. I won't try and imitate the way that she yelled it, but it was the way that she communicated to me that she needed help. And it was a scary sound. So I jumped off of the couch, she cried my name, and I'm, I'm running down the stairs. I literally sort of took three bounces down the stairs. You know what that is where you're grabbing the handrail and you kind of just kind of jump it all the way down those? I come around the corner and I almost run into her, and I find her and I say to her, what, what is it? And she looked at me, buggy-eyed, and said, there's a huge spider in the bathroom, you gotta kill it. And immediately, a host of emotions ran through me. Number one, I was glad that she wasn't injured. I was glad that like there wasn't a crack in the basement wall or a, a beam was falling or there's a water leak, like all those things sort of ran through my head. And then honestly, there's a little bit of an annoyance that really, that's what caused the fear. That's, that's why I got up from where I was and ran down there. And she could see it on my face. She could see the confliction running through me. And she looked at me, she said, Mark, it was really big. So I grabbed some bug spray and sprayed around the bathroom. It was a moment of fear. Now what's true with a little spider in a sort of a, maybe a comical marriage situation, takes on a whole new meaning when we're talking about things that are more serious as it relates to fear. The issue of fear is something that affects us in all kinds of different ways. It's a strong and complicated emotion. Fear can cause us to do things and to say things and to feel things very quickly and very powerfully. Sometimes fear doesn't go away quickly. And frankly, sometimes fear doesn't go away quickly for good reason. What's more, we're not all afraid of the same things. And, and sometimes we're not even sure why we're afraid. At other times, our bodies are simply responding to the immediacy of the fear or sort of a long-term lifetime of dealing with trauma and fear. And so fear is just the way that your body is wired now because of traumatic experiences or kind of how you're even wired. So fear is not only common, fear is not only strong, fear is complicated, fear is complex. We have all kinds of words in the English language. Alistair Groves and Winston Smith have wrote, written a book called Untangling Emotions, super helpful book, and here's what they say about words regarding fear. Words like uneasy, worried, 
Nervous, anxious, tense, uptight, spooked, haunted, scared, afraid, panicked, terrified, and petrified occupy slightly different points on the spectrum, but all express some version of the same core experience. Fear is everywhere, and everyone deals with it. There's not a single person listening to this message that hasn't dealt with fear. And whether it's a fear as relates to something like a spider, which is a small thing at one level, or it's a significant level of fear as it relates to some sort of panic attack or even an anxiety disorder that has just become a part of your life or something that's related to trauma in your experience. We all have different kinds of fear. They're not all the same. And even the solutions to fear aren't all the same. And I want you to know from the outset that I'm not an expert on fear. I'm just a pastor trying to apply the Bible into this complicated reality. One message, one sermon. This is going to solve all of your problems as it relates to fear, for sure. For, for some of you, this sermon is just going to be one piece in a really big jigsaw puzzle that you're trying to put together. But I hope that it will be helpful. We're talking about what it means to win the battle with anxiety and fear in this five-part series. We're looking at five critical questions. Number one, who's in control? Number two, what is fear? Number three, what must I believe? Number four, how do I pray? And number five, what should I think? So this is our second week in our journey, and last week we talked about the issue of control from the book of Isaiah. And I've challenged you to memorize Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. This week, we're looking at the issue of fear, trying to grapple with this question. So what is fear? What is it? And we're in the book of Joshua. And, and like the previous text, the book of Joshua and Joshua chapter 1 has a particular context to it. And, and very briefly, the context is this. Moses, the great leader of Israel, who led Israel out of Egypt, who stood at the brink of the Red Sea and walked with the people through that dry ground on, into and, 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 and out of delivery from Egypt and into God's full protection, that leader, Moses, who stood up to Pharaoh that leader, Moses, who was described as the meekest man on earth and who visited with God face to face, that leader is dead. Joshua was the right-hand assistant of Moses, and now Joshua has been called by God to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. The people of Israel are not an easy group to lead. There's Multiple examples in the Bible where they, because of their thirst, their fear, their hunger, their frustration, they, they, they begin to usurp Moses' authority. And in fact, Joshua is now leading them into the land of Canaan, and no one who was a part of the original promise to go into the land of Canaan is alive because of their rebellion. So this is not an easy group to lead. And Joshua is following the greatest leader in Israel's history, namely Moses. So there's no wonder that God speaks here to Joshua about the issue of fear and anxiety. Because he's about to enter into this land with a challenging group of people, and no doubt his heart would have wrestled with this issue of fear. 
So what I wanna do in this message, and it will be somewhat topical in nature because we can't fully deal with fear in one particular text. And for that matter, we can't fully deal with fear even in one particular message. What I want to do is to begin by, let's define what fear is. Let me just try and help you understand how to think about it. Part of the issue is that this emotion is so common that at times it's hard to even understand what we're talking about. So let's begin, first of all, by thinking about what the opposite of fear is. And we see this in the text. In fact, if you remember, when the Neil kids read it to us, we heard the command to do the opposite of fear three times. In verse six, Joshua is commanded to be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. In verse seven, God says to Joshua, only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. And then in verse nine, again, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. So three times, strong and courageous, strong and courageous, strong and courageous. God communicates this to Joshua. And why does he say this three times? Well, I would imagine because the reality of fear in Joshua's life required this type of encouragement, even this type of command. Do you know the word for strong in the Hebrew has the sense of fortification or to become hardened? That's what the word strong means. The, the, the verb has a wide range of meaning depending on its context, and it's used in several passages to describe the state of being strong or the act of strengthening. But in order for something to be considered strong, it has to have a comparison to something else. Strong compared to what? And this is where the word strong is so important and where it is so critical. Because it's strong in comparison to the reality of the presence of fear. Because we're fearful, we need to embrace what it means to be strong and courageous. Think of the word courageous, same thing. The word courageous means to respond to something in an unusual way. To be courageous means that normal sets of circumstances, normal people would respond like this, but instead you were courageous and you responded like that. A burning house, and he courageously runs in. A confrontation, and he courageously spoke his mind. You see, courage and strength imply that there's a baseline of something that you're not in that moment. And what you're not in that moment, according to what we're seeing in this text, is you're not giving in to fear. Now I'll continue to explain this further, but there's a reason why this is so important. It's important, first of all, to realize that strong and courageous are unusual. What that means is that dealing with fear at lots of levels and in lots of different ways is normal. That's important because some of you you need to work on your fear, that's true. You, you need to figure out how does the Bible speak into fear that goes off the rails. There's others of you who just frankly, pastorally, you need to stop berating yourself because you struggle with fear. You, you, you've convinced yourself that because I struggle with fear and because I have to battle with fear, that I must not be a class A sort of Christian. I think there's a reason that God says to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. 
And here's why. Because I think that God knows that the baseline position for human beings is this issue of fear. It's what broken, limited, unable to control their lives, don't know the future, can't fix everything humans. It's what we do. It's where we go. And therefore, I want you to hear me that this battle with fear is something that we all have to wrestle with. I also want you to know it's far more complex, maybe than some of us even realize, that not all fear is the same. There's not one silver bullet to solve all issues and that Christians can struggle with this issue in lots of unique and different ways. Here's the second thing as we define fear that we need to acknowledge, and it's this, and this is why this gets complicated, and that is that not all fear is bad. Sometimes in the Bible we're told, fear not, we're given a command not to fear, and then at other times, we're actually told to fear. Let me give you a few examples to see this. I have six passages that I want you to understand The first two are in Exodus 14 and Psalm 89. Notice, it says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then look at Psalm 89. This was a a song that was sung to God. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, awesome above all who are around him? So, So the point is, is that God commands us to fear him because of who he is. Frankly, if you don't fear the Lord, you don't understand what God is like. And in this case, to not fear the Lord would actually be doing something sinful. Here's another example. Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or Deuteronomy 13.4, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. So you see, in some cases, fear is directly connected to obedience that obeying comes out of an appropriate level of fear. So fear can be an appropriate response to who God is. It could be an appropriate response to what he has commanded. In the New Testament, we also see it used this way, where the Apostle Paul said, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And notice in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. And so here we see that part of the motivation for ministry is this concern that Paul uses the word anxiety to describe, or knowing the fear of the Lord as a motivation for us to do what is right. So you can start to see how simply saying, don't fear, is not a sufficient answer when people are struggling with fear. Because there are some times when fear is good. Fear is complicated. And there are some times when not being afraid would actually be sinful. For instance, as a father of three boys, I can tell you that from ages five to about 16, how many times in my lifetime I was trying, because of my fear, to remind my sons, you shouldn't do that. I can't tell you how many times trips to the ER began with famous words, hey guys, watch this. So as a parent, I'm trying to instill some level of fear as, as, a, as being a good dad. Or if you're a plant manager and you have people who are working on a line 
Like fear of what could happen and worry should be one of your characteristics. There should be a sense of concern and it would be even malpractice for you not to be concerned about those things. Or if you're a financial advisor, you want your people who are managing your money to realize that recessions do come. And therefore, worrying about that and at some level is not only appropriate, but it's very wise. So what exactly does fear mean then? Well, the Hebrew word by definition means to cause to shake or to tremble or to cause terror. So it's a word that includes both emotions and a response. Something is observed, I see something, I know something, I feel something, and as a result, it creates a powerful response. So what is sinful fear then? Let me give you one definition. I don't know that this applies in every particular situation, but here's how you could think of it. I think sinful fear is the kind of fear that controls you too much. And I'm just gonna leave that definition right there because you've gotta figure out in your own heart of hearts, with the counsel of other people, seeking the Lord, when is this thing becoming too important? Or when are my emotions too characterized by fear? There are some fears and anxieties that have different kinds of causes, different realities about how that is expressed. And all of us, no matter what our experience, our background, our history, our biology, we're all called to follow Jesus and to figure out how do I deal with the unique battle that I'm facing. So you're gonna have to wrestle with, and I can't fully solve this problem for you, when is this actually controlling me too much? When am I allowing this to take too much control? You see, Joshua, in this text, and this is why he's given the command not to fear in this particular moment, Joshua has been given a specific calling in verse two. He's given particular promises and assurances in verses three and five, and because of that calling and those assurances that God has given him, therefore God says to him, be strong and courageous. So you could think of it in one way that sinful fear or dismay would be if Joshua would allow what he feels or what he sees to have a greater authority in his life than what God has told him. That's part of the reason why the text mentions not allowing the book of the law to depart out of his mouth and why he's to meditate on it. Because for Joshua, doing so would remind him what was true, would help him with his thinking, would then create actions on his part, and in this particular moment, would be the fuel for his ability to be strong and courageous. So the presence of fear isn't the issue. I'd like to suggest to you, the issue is the excess of it. The problem isn't the reality of the fear. The problem is the authority that we give to that fear. Now again, you're gonna have to figure out how to work this out in your life given the situations that you're uh, dealing with because this is really unique to each of us. In fact, let me just give you some examples of unique expressions of fear. Again, Groves and Smith in their book, Untangling emotions say this, fear motivates us to seek safety and control and certainty, and all three are good and right things to seek in the face of danger. All three, however, can go bad in a hurry. 
That's the problem, isn't it, with fear and anxiety? It's something good that then goes bad. And so one of the strategies for us understanding how do we embrace the command here to be strong and courageous is to understand the way in which fear tends to take over our life and what is our go-to response when we're struggling with fear and worry. And if you think about yourself, your life, your skills, your abilities, how God has wired you, my guess is that you can see the way in which what you usually do, what I usually do, is I go to something that I'm pretty good at and I use as a way to provide safety when I don't know what's gonna happen. So, earlier in a Facebook Live broadcast, I talked about five expressions of anxiety and worry. Let me just give you a few you think about these and see if they fit. First, you could try and mitigate fear and worry by overthinking. Sometimes fear looks like kicking our mental energies into gear. So we end up weighing every option and looking at risks and developing charts and working spreadsheets and reading articles. And what we're attempting to do in that, some of us are really good at thinking and we use our thinking in over, in, in, over against fear and we try to use it to overprotect ourselves from what we don't know. So overthinking. Secondly, overtalking. Sometimes fear can look like, in your life or mine, we're just talking to too many people. Perhaps you value people's opinions or you need to express yourself or maybe you genuinely, genuinely need counsel, but you're attempting really to protect yourself with the opinions of others. If you just have enough people who can give you input, you think that you'll know what to do and your fear will be gone. Third, overworking. Sometimes fear expresses itself by Becoming sort of a workaholic, you respond to fear by working even harder to fill in the gaps or to add more value in your place of employment right now so that you're on the essential list as business begins to decline. Or you try to figure out how to protect yourself in all sorts of different ways, and overworking can be your response to fear. Working isn't bad, unless it's the way that you're using work to try and mitigate the fear that's in your life. There's also over-emoting. Sometimes fear expresses itself with strong emotions, sometimes emotions that go opposite. When, when fear comes, there's typically a fight or a flight sort of posture, even physically. And therefore, some in that posture of over-emoting become angry or they become downcast. And both can be unhelpful ways to respond emotionally to fear. And then finally, overprotecting. Sometimes fear can look like being stingy, like becoming defensive or hoarding. And we can try and manage uncertainty around us by protecting ourselves or others. And as a result, fear can lead us into the idolatry of self-protection, where very functionally it looks as if we don't believe that God is sovereign. Now listen, Church, I want you to know this list isn't exhaustive. I'm just trying to help you how I think about this issue, how I've seen it in my life or in the lives of others, but I trust that you get the point. The point simply is this, that fear is really complex, really challenging. It doesn't express itself all in the same way, doesn't have the same cause, and doesn't have even the same solution. But often, where we go when we're afraid, and this is what I want you to think about and pray about, is the over-application of something that would be good in another setting has now become out of control. So, fear. 
Something is controlling my life in a way that doesn't fit with the way that it should. Or I'm acting in a way that does not reflect the reality of both who God is and what he has promised. So in light of Joshua chapter one, these words and what we see in this text, let me give you some potential steps for combating and dealing with fear. And again, the reason that I'm saying potential is because here's four ways maybe that you could take some steps, but there's a lot more and there's other things that you need to think through. Again, because of the multi-layered nature of this issue and the challenges that are implicit in it, we need to think through, you need to think through, how does this apply and work in your life? The first thing I would suggest to you is that we need to ask ourselves, what is happening? What's actually going on? It's interesting to me that in this text, in Joshua chapter one, Joshua's charge from God is clear and it's candid. I love the bluntness. Moses is dead. That's true. In front of him is the promised land. There's the Jordan River. And there are fortified cities on the other side of that river that are not going to be easy to conquer. So one of the ways that we just need to be honest about our fear is to realize that there are circumstances that we are dealing with that are just straight up hard. And we need to start thinking clearly and honestly about what is going on, even acknowledging this is not going to be easy. It's not helpful to a fearful person, by the way, if you tell them that what they're afraid of isn't really that big of a deal. <laughs> because they feel as though it is. And so first we have to just address what exactly is happening, what's providentially taking place that is identifying and creating this fear within me. Number two, we'll explore this next week, but we need to ask ourselves, so what does God say? We're gonna explore this even further in the weeks to come, but we need to ask ourselves about what God has promised to us. What does his word say to us in every situation? What are the promises that we need to cling to? We need to fight fear with the promises that, God's provi that God provides. It's one of the reasons why Isaiah 41.10, I'm suggesting to you, would be a helpful verse to memorize. For some of you, it may be helpful for you to develop a promise list and share it with your friends or post it on social media. You may be listening and what I'm saying to you about what God says and circumstances and fear, it just makes very little sense to you because you're not yet a Christian. Perhaps you don't even understand how the promises of God in Christ could be applied to fearful situations. Maybe when you hear what Joshua says, or what is said to Joshua, that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, that doesn't resonate with you. And part of the reason that it won't resonate with you is because you don't know what it means for Jesus to be with you in the way that Jesus is with people when they turn from their sins and trust Christ as their Savior and Lord. Because you see, he's with us in redemption so that Jesus is gonna be with us through every trial and difficulty that we walk through. So we have to think, what does God say? And these promises will apply differently in different situations, depending upon the cause of your fear or anxiety, even the expression of it, and for that matter, 
the whole context in which you're dealing with fear. So please understand that I'm not saying this is as simple as, oh, this is what the Bible says about a promise, therefore my fear is gone. That's not what I'm saying at all. In some cases that may happen for some people, but more often than not, the promise becomes the means that you fight through your difficulties even when those difficulties still remain. So what is happening? What does God say? Here's the third thing. I think this is really important. What action should I take? It's interesting that this text calls for obedience. He says that you may be careful to do according to that which is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. He commands him to be strong and to be courageous. So the command here connects Joshua's strength and courage as something that was designed to lead him to action. And this is where faith comes in as it relates to fear. You see, when fear is still raging within your soul or fear is still hanging in the air that you're breathing, there are decisions that you and I need to make about what kind of steps of faith that we're going to take. Friend, it could be as simple as taking the step of faith to get out of the bed in the morning. For some of you, it literally takes an act of faith to say, God, I don't think I can handle this day, I am so afraid, and for you just to pull back the covers and you start walking one moment, faith step by faith step by faith step. It can be as simple as you going to bed in faith. By saying, Lord, I'm so anxious about tomorrow, I could stay up and read more articles or write more emails or do more work, but I need to have the faith to not let my fear of what could happen to me cause me to not embrace the sleep that you have designed for me to have as a regular reminder that I need your help. Sometimes the most godly, faith-filled thing you can do is go to bed. Crazy, isn't it? But it's true. God built Sabbath and rest in the fabric of our humanity. It can mean taking the faith step of not immediately replying to an email, even though there's so much anxiety you want to answer, but you, by faith, choose not to. Or turning off your phone for a few hours and just saying, I don't want to imbibe my mind even further with all the news. It can be as practical as realizing that you need help and taking the faith step to say, I need to talk to somebody. Or the faith step to say, I need to talk to a medical professional. It can be taking the faith step of being generous and giving when your fingers want to curl. You see, what I'm trying to do is to show you that there's lots of different nuances of how you apply the faith step as it relates to the issue of fear. And this is one of those issues that's so broad and so unique that with the use of the scripture and community and the Holy Spirit, friend, you're going to have to figure out what that faith step looks like. But here's what I want you to know. The promise is sure that God is going to be with you. Fourth, so what's happening, what does God say, what action should I take forth? The question finally that we should ask is this, how is this forming me? I share this with you because fear can be the kind of emotion that feels so negative all the time that you may look at your life and go, I'm not changing, nothing good is happening out of this. This fear battle 
is the way that the enemy is grabbing a hold of my life. And what I want you to know is that God in his grace can even use your struggle with fear and anxiety as a means by which for him to accomplish his goal of helping you to trust in him. By walking in faith, as you deal with fear, it's not easy. It can be a brutal fight. And yet God can use this for the purpose of shaping you even through your tears, even through your frustration, even through the difficulties, and saying, in this pressurized moment, either internally or externally, I'm gonna find new and rugged ways to trust in Christ. So here's Joshua. He stands before the Jordan River. There's a city on the other side named Jericho, and he has no idea about the story that's about to be written, that Jericho is gonna have a story about walls falling down. God has promised that the hard circumstances of life and the brokenness in the world, both in us and around us, are all part of a mysterious plan to form Christ in us. You may not see it now. You may not understand it. You may not even like it. It may be scary, but I promise you, God is working out a plan to form you into the image of Jesus. The Bible tells us, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, Groves and Smith say this, every fear brought to the Lord Every anxiety or terror weathered under the shelter of his wings reinforces our choice to trust. This means that even the smallest acts of faith in God's mercy are self-perpetuating. As the Psalms demonstrate over and over, every little taste of God's help and closeness in the face of our fears sparks greater love for God, which he in turn lovingly cultivates into deeper faith and changed lives. So what does that mean? It means in the midst of our fear, we can embrace this promise and then act upon it. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. So many layers, so many dynamics, so many causes. This, this issue is all over our lives, both in the environment in which we are live, the environment in which we live, the very fabric of our being, and God, even the history of our lives. So we need your help, and I pray you would use your word today to impress particular steps of action, follow-up, in the hearts of our people. Lord, for those who may not know you, Jesus, as Savior, that this could be a, just another reason for them to keep searching and maybe even today to realize their need to turn to Christ. And then, Lord, for brothers and sisters who fear is not just an academic subject or a biblical subject, it's a subject that they deal with every single day. Give them unusual grace today, Lord, and help them to have people around them who can uphold them, encourage them, and walk with them in this complicated arena of obedience. Help us, Lord. Help us to believe that you are with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.